that has nothing to do with you. This morning, uh, the title of this morning is uh, What a Spirit-Filled Life Looks Like. And that's a mouthful, but we're just going to introduce it. And uh, we are going to look at this section now over the next several weeks, months, years, decades, as we begin to think about uh, you know, life today as we know it. Uh, we were talking, uh, you know, t- folks, today, this, you see life today, this is normal now. You're not going to go back to the way it was B.C., before COVID, okay? This is the way it is now. Uh, it may lessen, it may not. You know, you've got the vaccines now in play. You've got this, you've got that. And all this stuff it might lessen a little bit, but it's still the way it is. You, if you look at our culture right now and the cancellation of Mr. Potato Head and white polar bears and all this stupid stuff that's going on, I tell you, if you've got time to worry about the gender of a plastic potato, you got more time on your hand than than in reality. But that's as much political speech as I can handle. Otherwise, I get going, and then Linda comes over, and then I'm in real trouble, okay? But see, she's not here. She's next door. But see, the thing is, is when you and I look at that, and how are we to then look at that? How are then we, members of the body of Christ, this local assembly, the folks online that join into us, how then are we to behave? How then are we to look at this and say, hey, wait a minute, that, that's what the world is doing. What do we do? Well, chapter 5 here of Ephesians, verse 17, we'll start there. Verse 15, start there. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What are we to be doing? We're to be redeeming the time. We're, we're, we're the ambassadors for Christ. Our, our job has been given to us, and we're to redeem that time. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That command here. There's a command here. Don't be this, be this. And, and again, we, didn't, we haven't really looked at the issue of being, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. We'll do that when we're done. We're going to revert back over. I'd rather spend time tell, showing you where you should be than rather spend time telling you where you shouldn't be. The being not drunk with wine there, obviously common sense would tell you what? Don't go out on Friday night and get plastered. Okay? Easy, easy speasy, all right? But rather there's something more going on here than what Paul's talking about. And it's really the issue of sin and the chaos that sin brings and, and the drunkenness that happens there that's in, in the world. But rather now he says, be ye, be but, find the verse, be filled with the Spirit. And we begin to talk about that. We begin to talk about what it is being filled with the Spirit. And when you are being filled with the Spirit, that is to have your life filled, your life controlled by, you're you're under the guidance of the Spirit. Now, there's a comparative passage in Colossians chapter 3. If you look over here, Colossians 3. Anytime you read anything in your Bible study and you go, okay, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? The first thing you do is run, pull a commentary off the wall, off the bookcase and read, right? No, the first thing you do is compare spiritual things with spiritual. Go find another verse. Go find another verse that will help you understand what you're studying and looking for. And the wonderful thing about this is in, is in Ephesians, here's the doctrine, 
And then Colossians comes along and single line statements pulls the doctrine over and it begins to apply it in a different scenario in a different light. Colossians 3 verse 16 that Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And what begins to happen is, is the A equals B, B equals C, so A equals C thing kind of comes up. And being filled with the Spirit becomes synonymous, the same thing as let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So when we are to be filled with the Spirit, that is the same, that is to have your life controlled by the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. If you can catch that and understand that, then guess where you don't go? You don't run back to Pentecost to think about being filled with the Spirit. You don't run over here and think all that stuff out there that religion teaches. You say, you know what I need to have? I need to have the Word of God resident in my inner man, in my thinking, in my mind, in my soul. Because when I begin to do that, then that then translates more to... uh, merges over into a life being under the control of His Word. We looked last week at the the great example of being filled with the Spirit in Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary and those seven sayings and how He lived His life in line, in obedience to, with the Word of God, the Word of His Father, controlling that and and dictating what was He going to do. Did He not have free will, if you will, or volition to go do something else. Sure he did, but that's not what the deal was. That's why that passage in Hebrews 10, anytime you ever deal with someone about, with like a new Bible, the passage in Hebrews 10 is a great verse. Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me, right? So then your, the new Bibles do what? They damage him. They change verses, they add words. So then why in the world would you go after a book that damages our Savior rather than promote him? Your King James Bible promotes the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he does. So when you look here and you begin to think about being filled with the Spirit and what it's going to look like now in life, notice, if you will, these passages just quickly here. Look at... uh, you guys with tablets, I don't know how you do this, but in my Bible, which is where you ought to be in a book, but anyway, you just flip the pages over, turn them over, make your little leaf there, and look at 518. All right? And Colossians 3, verse 16. We did some of this last time. Just look at it. And just do a comparison there as we go down through it. Look at 316. need the books? You lost track already? You need to revive. Colossians. <laughs> Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. Notice the comparison. Notice 518. Be filled, but be filled with the Spirit. 516. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Those go together. Then he says in 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You see all that. Now go to Colossians 3.16. Teaching and admonishing 
one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So you got that comparison, all right? The, the passages here in, in 519 to 21 are dealing with you, the individual. That's who he's talking about. That issue of that first institution of volition. Here you are. Here we go. This is you. That's who we're going to talk about. Then in 522, what does he say? Wives, right? If you play the role of a wife in your life, here's some what the, being filled with the Spirit. Here's what let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is going to look like. Then he goes in 525. Who's he talked to? Husbands. And all right, same thing. If you're a husband, if you're in the role of a husband today, guess what you're going to have? Here's what the being filled with the Spirit, here's what let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly looks like. Then he goes down into 6 1, and he talks about the child, right? Children. 6 4, fathers. We, you with me? All right. Here's marriage, second institution. Here's family. Third institution, ordained by God. Genesis, okay? 6-5, getting off the board now. Servants, right? 6-9, masters. Here's the issue of, of nationalism, culture, and so forth, and where you live. The world you live in today. By the way, Colossians 3, same thing. Verse 18, wives. Verse 19, husbands. Verse 20, children. 21, fathers. 22, servants. 4, 1, masters. You've got this back and forth. Why? Because what is Paul driving at? He wants you to have a spirit-filled life. And what does it look like? The same effect of being filled with the Spirit is the same effect as having the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the point. I hope you see that. You get that, then you'll never have a problem in the day of your life. <laughs> right? No, you'll have, a, you'll have a better way of handling those issues. He, he's, when you come out of Ephesians, you read over in Colossians. By the way, look at Colossians 3. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. And be not, what? Bitter against them. Bitterness. Woo! That's a marriage killer. Is bitterness. Well, how do you take care of bitterness? Well, you go back up there to verse 13. You forbear one another and you forgive one another. But you know what, though? In Ephesians 5, bitterness is never mentioned in Ephesians 5. Rather, in Ephesians 5, here's what the role looks like. Come look down at... Uh, well, I think you get the idea. Go back to Ephesians 5, okay? You see, folks, God's looking to teach us. He's looking to admonish us. He's looking to amplify this. So now as we begin to, you know, you're back in Ephesians 5, right? So you've got 19 to 21, you've got you. 22 and following, you have the marriage and the family and the servants in 6.10, you begin to learn that there's a warfare that you're going to war against and be involved in. Okay? 
Then you come down in, in, in uh, that, then you begin to learn about, hey, there's a prayer life I'm to have. Then you begin to learn that there's a, that's verse 18, verse 20, there's a boldness that I'm to have. So you begin to have all of this instruction here. All of these areas are going to be impacted as a result of being filled with the Spirit. Being, having the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Having your life under the control of the Spirit of God, and that comes into your life as you obey the word of God, as the word of God dwells in you richly. And by the way, it's the word of God rightly divided. I looked around the room, I didn't think I needed to say that, but you have to remember that. As it begins to settle down and dwell in your heart, be at home, you know, dwell there. And the thing of it is, is that's where we're happening. Now, to have the truth of God's word grip you, grip your understanding, then that is where it produces a life that you go live in your experience. Think about that. Most today people say, oh, I experienced this and that. No, you take the truth of the word of God and you go and live it in your experience. You don't take the experience backwards. You take the inward into it. And that's important. Now, when you look at this, I wrote these up here because we're going to talk about them. Because as you begin to look about how this is designed to look into your life, Paul goes back to Genesis and he begins to talk about, come back with me to Genesis chapter 2. Paul drags us back to Adam 9 out of 10 times. It's amazing how many times Paul will take you and I back to the garden, back to Adam and Eve, back into the creation. And when you get this into your mind as we begin to talk about what a spirit-filled life looks like and how having... The, word, the truth of God's word, get a grip in your understanding, get a grip into your life, and then begin to live out in, in, the, in your experiences. And when you look at that, and as we begin to look at this section, we begin to see that, hey, wait a minute, this is how God had planned this from day one, or day six, sorry, okay? Look at Genesis 2, the issue of volition. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest surely eat, free, I'm sorry, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thereof thou shalt surely die. What is the Lord doing here? What's he testing with man? Their, their ability to make a decision. Volition, we call it. Free will, it's called. By the, way, by the way, that word free will is in your King James Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. They bring a free will offering. They have offerings that the law demanded. And then above all of that, all of the offerings and the tithes, they had a free will. Something, a, a love gift. A love offering, it's called too. Free will, volition. The ability to make a decision. He just set in front of them a test of that, didn't he? Everything you can eat except this one tree. Well, what did they do? They failed the test, didn't they? Okay? But what happens in chapter 2? Adam is out working with the animals, studying them, naming them, finds out that he's alone. Verse 23. Well, verse 21, And the Lord God caused 
Verse 20, and, and Adam named, gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found to help meat for him. And you know what the Lord does? He puts old Adam to sleep, pulls out the rib, creates Eve, the, the woman. Whoa, man. <laughs> you know, there she is. And verse 24, verse 23, here you have the first marriage ceremony. Performed by God on, 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 in human history, the institution of marriage isn't a church institution. It isn't a state institution. The state just likes to tax you and say you've got to have a little piece of paper. That's all. The church likes to dictate that and control that so then they can set their premarital counseling things up and their marriage stuff up and all this stuff. And God says, no, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. There's marriage. What happened? Free will's involved, isn't it? When you met your spouse, or if you're married, okay, obviously, <laughs> what happened? There was an instantaneous love at first sight. Ooh, no? No? Okay. No, there's a working down. There's a whatever it was, but what'd you do? You went and you got married. And you know what? You both decided that. I tell the kids when I do them, I said, listen, you cannot one day wake up and say, I wish I hadn't married the jerk. Because you know he's a jerk going in. Because he is. And she is too, by the way. I know, that usually gets the girls, oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> I know that old nature, you know. I, I, I told the, the guys, the, I call them kids because they are kids, you know. But uh, I told them, I said, listen, don't go have children right away. You've got to get off and have some time alone and learn each other and understand that you're both jerks. And they go, no, we're not. I go, yeah, you are. Then have the kids because then you'll learn that they're jerks too. You know, and you go, why did we do this? Not really. I love my kids. They have, nobody's at home, so I really like them right now. Okay? But see, the thing is, is there's marriage. Come over to chapter 4. When you get, to, when you get married, the natural recourse then if, if you, is to have children. 4-1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So what do we have now? Now we have children, obey your parents. Now we have family, right? But now we also have fathers, bring them up, uh, uh, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So watch Adam do it, verse 3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offer, but unto Cain and to his offer he had not respect. And Cain you know, goes off and kills Abel. What in the world's going on there? What has happened? Well, Adam and Eve, the end of chapter 3, they've got a lesson in animal sacrifice to be brought to the cherubs there. And what was going to happen there with the animal sacrifice and the fact that the slaying of the blood, the, the redemption is in the blood and put it here and do that. So what did Adam do? Adam and Eve, they sat around, hey boys, come over here, we've got to teach you how to do this. And they began to father, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And they began to educate them in the ways. One got it, one didn't. Ain't that the story? Uh-huh. I got three kids. One gets it and the other two don't. The other two get it and the one doesn't. It happens. Why? Different who they are. So those first three, volition, family, marriage, 
are the very building blocks of society, of culture, of everything that we do is done around those three items. You think about that. You have family traditions. You have get-togethers. You come over and you have children and they have children and then, they, and then your grandparents and then your great-grandparents. So you have this, this culture. Now, it doesn't, you know, people say, well, I don't, we don't have kids. That's okay. It, that's not the point is having children. The point is, is these three institutions were designed, implanted in demand by God for the orderly maintenance of life on planet Earth. God is a God of order. He is not a God of disorder. The stuff you see in the world today is what? It's chaos, isn't it? That's how you know God ain't in it. God ain't stopping it. He ain't keeping it going. It's chaos. It's, in Ephesians 2, Paul calls it the course of this world. You want to see chaos in Scripture, go read about the days of Noah. Talking about, you look at it, you look at what we're going on today, you see great similarities. It's chaotic. And again, these, these three institutions are four institutions, we haven't got to the last one yet, are for the maintenance of life. All mankind does this. Do you know why when you go into a, a Hispanic-type neighborhoods or, or countries and they have great families and all this stuff, where does that come from? It comes from right here. Now, they're doing it based on their culture, their society. You go into other cultures and it's very reserved and not so big. It's this, it's that. But it comes from what? Right here, from creation. The fourth institution is that one of nationalism. Uh, come over with me to Genesis 9. Genesis 9. Actually, you know, just do Genesis. I got you. Do, do Genesis 9. The fourth institution is national. Human government, the creation of government. Romans 13, Paul tells you all of the details that... Moses mentions here in Romans 9, or Genesis 9, Paul goes down through grade. He says, let the soul, that's an inner man issue, be subject unto the higher powers, this governmental structure. Because the nationalism, the government is designed to protect the first three institutions of volition, marriage, and family. Now, he's not talking about the people. Okay? We elect the people. He's talking about the structure and the idea, okay, of government. And in chapter 9 here, Moses, or, uh, Noah comes off the boat. Verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Same thing he said to Adam. All right? And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon the fowl of the air and upon all, the move, all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. And into your hands are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. He changed the dietary rules. He says, now go hunt. Back with Adam. Adam's naming the animals. He'd go over to the fish pond. Where the fish are, that goofy bass would come up and look at him, giving the old fish eyes, and he goes, you're a large mouth, you're a small mouth, you're this, you're that, and then they would go. You know what they do now? They don't come up to the edge and say, here I am. 
Now you're out there at O Dark 30 trying to put a line in, you can't see nothing. You run into rocks, you sink the boat, and you're sitting there all for a goofy little fish. Or you do what we do and climb up the tree and sit there for days looking for a four-legged creature to walk by, right? Why? Because you've got to go hunt them. The fear is now in them. But why, was, why did God put the fear of, the, the, of man into animals? So they would do what? Scatter, separate, spread out, fill up the earth, get going. Now watch verse number 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of every man... And at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whosoever sheddeth blood, I'm sorry, sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. He just instituted capital punishment, blood for blood. Who is in charge of capital punishment? Romans 13 says the government is. The higher powers are. Now come over to chapter 10. They were supposed to go scatter, weren't they? They don't do that very well, very effectively. In chapter 10, you have the sons of Noah, the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. And you know what you have in chapter 10? And by the way, 11 is, chapter 11 is in 10, time-wise, is you nearly have 15, you almost have 2,000 years of human history in two chapters. Chapter 10 and 11. You have time that goes by and, and so forth. But what I want you to see is verse 5. 10-5. These, the, these are the sons of uh, Japheth. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in, the, in their lands, every one after his tongue after their, and after their families in their nations. Verse 20. These are the sons of Ham. After their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Verse 31. These are the sons of, of Shem. After their families, after their tongues, in their language, after their, I'm sorry, in their lands, after their nations. Notice, you have the establishment of nations. And they go after what? Families, tongues, lands, right? Notice tongues is mentioned in all three of them. Language. Why? Because Genesis 11 has happened. The Tower of Babel, the con confusing of the language. So now, if I'm, if I'm a son of Shem, and I'm looking for someone who speaks, you know, what I speak, which nobody really knows sometimes, then what am I going to do? I'm naturally going to gravitate to people who speak the same language. And what begins to happen? We set up borders. Why, why are borders given? Why is a border there? It's for protection, but from protection from what? The evil that's coming from the outside. Over in Acts, uh, come over to Acts 17. Okay, Acts 17. You can let Genesis go. Acts 17 and verse 26. Acts 17, 26. Paul is here on Mars Hill. He's dealing with the Athenians and their superstitions. And he says in verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell 
on all the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. There's Genesis 10. Set up the boundaries. Okay? That, why? Why did he do this? That they should seek the Lord. Think about that. If you're sitting over here and, and you're of the interest of the things of the Lord and your nation that you're in, family, culture, land, all of a sudden isn't likening the things of the Lord, what can you do? You have volition, don't you? You have, maybe you got married in a family. What can you do? You can do, you can migrate. You can move. Now, if I move over here to the land of Nod, then what do I have to do when I get there? Nod. Right? Okay? No, what do you got to do? First thing you got to do is learn the language, if it's different than what, see. You didn't change your marriage. You didn't change your family. You've just moved into, but the bounds are set there, verse 17, that they should seek, um, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You see, the nation, nation nationality, the reason for sovereignty of a nation is so that you can put, and the reason for borders and border walls and protection is so that you can protect from evil from the chaos that sin brings, specifically. And why is this? Because God is a God of order, 1 Corinthians 14. He, he does things decently and in order. He's not the God and the author of confusion. So when you come to these four institutions, by the way, in Genesis 4, we didn't, we're not going to do this because time's going to get away from us. At every one of these Satan attacks. Do you know who he attacked in the issue of volition? That's Genesis 3, Eve. I'm going to help you make your decision for you. Don't you want to be like one of the gods? He attacks the marriage too in Genesis 3, doesn't he? He usurped the authority laid out with Adam and Eve and the head of the family and the head of the marriage. He went after the weaker vessel, Peter said, calls him. He went after the family. Genesis 4, what did he cause Cain to do? Kill Abel. He's, that's why you'll, you'll, find, you'll see the Lord talk about to Israel in his earthly ministry, and he says, your you are your father, the devil, and he's a murderer. He committed murder, bloodthirst. Why? Well, at first he got Eve, but then he got Cain to do it. Then he goes after the one entity that God had created to protect, and that's Genesis 11 there with the Tower of Babel with one world, one language, one government, one religion. We call that globalism today. There's nothing wrong with doing trade around the world, but guess what? It's not designed for everything to be broken down because chaos comes in. The reason that Satan attacks these four is so that they become unusable for God. What does he want to do? I, remember Isaiah 14? I'm calling on your memory. He says, I want to be like the Most High God, right? 
But later on down in there it says what he did was weaken the nations. How does he weaken the nations? The attack is right here. You've seen it in our country, in our history. The, weak, the weakening is there. The attack is on. The way that God fights. See, that's the question. All right, how do we fight this? How do we fight all of this? How do we, how do we have victory in the day? Well, how does God fight this then? Today, I'm talking about today. Dispensation of grace. Church, the body of Christ. How does he fight this? He, well, he doesn't do it with establishing a new nation on the earth, Israel. So guess what? He's not using a spiritual Israel to fight. You're not spiritual Jew. Sorry. He doesn't use the Old Testament ways to do it. He's already done that with Israel to fight the earth and to reclaim the earth. I hope you understand, folks, that God does not have a nation in the earth today. Sorry to bust your bubble. The United States of America is not God's nation. You can go read 2 Chronicles, quote it all day long, and, you know, the people in the land of my nation. No, that is not you and I. How does he fight today? Well, he doesn't fight. Come back with me to Ephesians 6. He doesn't fight in a political system. Sorry. He doesn't fight in a religious system. Rather, his design is for you to be filled with the Spirit. His design is for his word to work in the dispensation of grace. The source of justice in our world. The source of peace in your life. The source of stability in your marriage, the source of reliability in your family, is going to be the perp is going to be the purposeful functioning of the church, the body of Christ, as God works indirectly through His Word in our lives on a daily on a daily basis. Get it all out. Well, I just want to have peace. Well, what's Romans fifteen tell you? Where your comfort is. In the scriptures. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When the Holy Spirit wants to go to war and do battle, what does he take? The latest F-35, B-1, B-8, B-30, whatever they are. No, he takes what? The word of God. Why? Why does he take the word of God? Chapter 3, verse 16. Are you guys with you see what's going on here? Okay, 3.16. Ephesians 3.16. You see, folks, when you and I come into this, as we begin to talk about what a spirit-filled life looks like in these categories, it's because Paul's taken us back to the way God has ordained man to function at its very level, basic level. The problem is, is sin has created chaos in that. So God says, no problem, I'm going to work a little different then. Ephesians 3, verse 16, that, it, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit, where? In the inner man. 
where the Holy Spirit is going to work and where the Holy Spirit strengthens and where the Holy Spirit produces a miracle-working power of God in your life. He does it not on the outward. He does it on the inward. He does it inside of you. And when God today is working in His Word, He's working in you that believe. 1 Thessalonians 2 says. And that's where God, that's where God is working. That's how God is is looking at the situation and fighting the attack of the adversary. The place where the Holy Spirit is visibly manifested today is in you. It's in the daily walk. It's in the daily lives of the body of Christ as we respond by faith to the word of God, rightly divided. Man, when we do that, guess what we are? We're soldiers. We're fighting the good fight. We're keeping the faith. We're making it through. So he starts, 519, Ephesians 5, verse 19. I can see we're not going to get very far, but we're going to get into the passage here, okay? Again, just introducing it this morning. We'll talk more as the weeks and months, years and decades go by, okay? Yeah. All right? I t- I, 519. So he starts with volition. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your hearts to the Lord. This is a personal choice that you're to make. Now, next week we're going to get into psalms and hymns. We'll get into the details, okay? I just want you to see this first area he goes to and deals with is volition. That's the first one. Just think about this. This is a personal choice that you're to make. By the way, it's a response of faith. It's a response of you understanding who God has made you in Christ. And then what he says to you in his word. And you're to let that live out through you. And we know what happens when you do verse 19. You have an inner harmony. You have a heart melt. You have a melody in your heart that you're just singing. I the other day that song, uh, "Oh What a Day," man, it got stuck in my head, and I was glad that it did because it was a bad day. Oh, what a day when I see the face of my Savior. There, I just kept repeating that phrase over and over. <laughs> okay, Lord, today could be the day. <laughs> you know, you got that inner peace. So volition here has a personal choice. Folks, it's your choice to be filled with the Spirit. To have your life under the control of the Word of God. That's your choice. You know, you can choose not to. Choose to. It has to do with your choice. You want something to control your thinking and help with your, the way you think about things? There it is, right there. That inner harmony. The, cor- the course of... Your, pers- your personal life, the course of your marriage if you're married, the course of your family if you have family, the course of your nation that we live in, every component of your life and how th- successful it is is determined by the amount of sound doctrine found in each of those areas. How much sound doctrine is in you individually, will translate over into marriage and family 
if you're married. And if not, guess where it translates over to? Right into the national, the nation you live in, the culture. I look around the room, we have some folks that aren't married and some that are widowed and so forth. I got that. See, folks, the amount of the sound doctrine that's found in you, you're his. You're the member of the church, the body of Christ. Now, when we come together, we're collectively as a local assembly, which, by the way, when he says they're speaking to yourselves, he's talking about the local assembly here. The local assembly is made up of individuals who have made the choice to be filled with the Spirit. It has nothing to do with the political party or the economic system that we're under. It has everything to do with the amount of sound doctrine resident in your will. Then it will be resident in the rest of your life. That's why it's so important and critical to be building in, renewing your mind with that sound doctrine. That's how God operates today. He's not operating to produce a a nation. He's operating to produce the church, the body of Christ. He wants you individually to be the starting point. It always starts here with you. Now, we have a little problem. It's called sin. But yet the answer is what? The word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's the answer. He says there in verse 19, yourselves, the plural, to the local church, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that there's to be this inner harmony in you. There's to be an inner harmony, a melody in your heart. He's not, by the way, he's not talking about congregational singing. Congregational singing is the outward expression of what's going on inside of you. That's why when some of you guys don't sing, I wonder what's going on inside of you. Well, I just don't like to sing. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what's happening inside of you. There is first to be an inner harmony, verse 19, in you, personally, individually. That will then translate over into the local assembly, and it will then translate over into the other areas of your life. Inner peace. We look for social justice, don't we? You know? Inner something, like, okay? Hey, folks, you know where it's found? Not out there. It's found right in who you are in Christ. Then verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in Christ, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the next step. When you have the inner peace and the inner harmony, the natural result is going to be a what? A heart of thanksgiving. Grace motivation. Being thankful. That's what, becomes the, that's what becomes the issue. When you have your life under the control of the love and grace of God through His Word, it's going to give you an inner harmony, it's going to give you an inner peace, and that's going to produce a heart attitude of thankfulness and thanksgiving. The gratitude that grace produces. If you get a gift, a goodie bag, you look in it and you go, where's the rest of it? If you did that at my house, you're going to pick your teeth up for two weeks. What do you do when you get a gift and you look in it? You say, thank you. It's interesting. Notice this verse carefully, real quick here. 
giving thanks always, what's that word? For all things. What's 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tell us? In everything give thanks. So in the moment, right? You know what this verse says? You're to give thanks even for the moment. Notice that difference. It's a critical thing. We'll look at it in deeper more next time. Something to give you to think about this week. For the moment, I'm to do what? Give thanks. Because in the moment, I'm to be giving thanks. Do you think giving thanks is to be on the table all the time? I think so. Because that's that heart of gratitude. If you understand truly your identity coming out of Romans 1 to 5, you get into chapter 6, you would never, never think about, entertain the idea of going and living for yourself. Because you would completely understand what he did for you at Calvary. I hope you understand the tremendous blessings we have in Christ. That they're real. And that's where real life is. And then in verse 21, he says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Woo! That verse nobody likes, by the way. That is probably one of the most hated verses in all of Ephesians, and probably all the book. Is that right there? Submitting yourselves one to another. Before, By the way, verse 22 says what? Wives what? Submit yourselves. Way before the wives ever submit themselves, they should already be doing verse 21 in the local assembly. He says everyone is to submit by the way, if everyone isn't, has that heart of a servant, submission, then the wife's submitting is a piece of cake. And the husband's loving is a piece of cake. Come over to Philippians 2. You see, what tends to happen is, by the way, you're submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know what our problem in our country today is? There's no fear of God anymore. And you and I, we fear God. Because what do we know? We know his word. And we know what he's going to do. What's he going to do one day? He's going to come back here and he's going to fix everything the way he wants it fixed. That's why you don't worry about him building a new nation today. He's not in nation building today. Sorry. He's in bodybuilding. That's about the extent of it. Okay? I'm tired already. He's in building that body. Got a kick out of it. I woke some of I revived some of you. Look at Philippians 2. You see, folks, you, you make the choice to have the inner harmony, to have the heart of thanksgiving, to have the heart of the servant. If the Spirit is working, if the Word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, you know what you're going to have? That inner harmony and that submissive heart, that thankful heart and that heart of a servant. Philippians 2, here it is. Philippians 2.1, if there be therefore any consolation, if any comfort of the scripture, of any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Here it is, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Submission is the servant's heart. 
And that ends up being the real result of the inner harmony. You. That ends up being the real devotion of the grace motivation, thankfulness. And that's where you're able to have that heart, that thinking of others before yourselves. Folks, when the Word of God controls your life, the result will be an inner man that has peace, harmony, that will produce a heart of gratitude, of thankfulness, and that will lead you to the attitude of esteeming others better than yourself. So as we begin to look at what the Spirit-filled life looks like, now we're going to go back through 19, 20, and 20, okay? Just kind of introducing this. If you make these choices, if you make the choice of verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, it will trickle down into everything else because the sound doctrine has become resident in you. Today, we have a desire to be normal again, don't we? I don't know about you, but I don't. Normal's boring. The result of being filled with the Spirit is what I'm after. For me, for you. Having the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is what I'm after for you and for me. Because that's really what normal is. That's reality. Somebody asked me one time, we were talking, he goes, well, did you have a normal childhood? And I said, yes, I did. And he goes, really? How do you know that? I said, because it was my normal. It was my reality. It was normal. He's like, well, we did this. I go, well, you didn't have, a, you had a dysfunctional one then. Because I knew what he was after, you know. And I go, no, normal is what? What's our reality? Here it is. This is normal. So you could play word games all day long with this. But here, here it is. Here's how you're going to have a normal Christian life. It starts with you making the choice to have a song in your heart, a step, a song in your step, you know. Not a don't, 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 but a ah, yeah. To have a heart of thanks, thankfulness of thanksgiving, and then to go over and look and, and esteem others better than yourselves. All of that starts with having the Word of God dwell in you richly. By the way, rightly divided, okay? So that next time we'll talk about you, we'll get into verses and look at the individuals, okay? This just kind of get us going this morning. Think about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing. That produces that harmony, but it becomes an issue of what are you singing? What's going on in those, okay? All right, I won't preach another hour. Let's go. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for everything that we have in you, for the blessings, for the instruction, for the admonition, and for the desire and the hope to have you be our life. And have your life live out through us in the details of our lives so that you have the honor and you get the praise and the glory. In your name we pray.